Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WB.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVV Radio in Las Vegas, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at We the Patriots. All right, welcome into the show. We have a new studio, which I'm assuming that you are you are noticing if you're tuning in on either our Rumble channel or on Red Voice Media. And to kick off our new studio this week, we're coming out of our homesteading series, and we have two awesome guests on the show this week. First off, we are bringing you Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's going to talk about the benefits of eating a carnivore diet. You guys know I have been talking about how I feed our family raw milk and how we are big into the animal fats, eating meat, um, eating animal byproducts, eggs, you name it. And, you know, for all you mamas out there who sometimes feel guilty, myself included, that our kids probably aren't getting enough vegetables or things like that. Dr. Anthony Chafee is here today to ease your mind in that and for everybody else watching, help us achieve that food freedom from the system, the system that's been telling us this whole time, you know, that we need to do less fats and uh, more vegetables and, and things like that. So it just kind of takes re-educating ourselves. And we're on this journey together. And so Dr. Anthony Chafee is going to help us out with that. But first, we're going to hear from some of our supporters of this show, one of which is Carnivore Bar. This episode is brought to you by The Carnivore Bar, providing a fuel source for ancestral carnivore, paleo, and keto eaters who value their on-the-go autonomy without sacrificing quality nutrition. Visit carnivorebar.com for more information. This episode is brought to you by The Freedom People, providing comprehensive solutions for individuals and businesses to take control and protect their freedoms. Visit thefreedompeople.org to reclaim your freedoms. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers educating ourselves and forging a new path forward hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom this is faithful freedom with taryn gregson presented by we the patriots usa a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our god-given inalienable rights dr chafee thank you so much for joining the show well thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure you know, one of the things I, I'm, you know, selfishly having you on the show today to ease my mind that my littles that are three and under are not eating enough vegetables mm -hmm. is that's we have to kind of retrain our mind. Right. Tell tell all the grandmas mm -hmm. out there, too. It's OK if your littles are not getting um, a ton of vegetables. If we are looking at, you know, things like raw milk, eggs, cheese, meats uh, for our kiddos. Yeah, well, it obviously goes quite against the grain for the past several decades, of course, but that, but that's largely due to, to, well, from propaganda, but also due to uh, different food companies and different sort of uh, factions that have sort of pushed this ideology around, you know, for their own, for their own benefits, but it's not necessarily for our benefits. And it's really not necessarily in meeting with the actual 
biological sciences that, that we know to be true about humans and about plants. So you get absolutely everything you need in the proportion that you need that. And that's very important, the proportionality in fatty meat or and you know dairy animal products and things like that. So you get everything you need from that. How do we know this? Well, you look at the Inuit, first of all, right? They, they exist, right? And yeah. so <laughs> if they exist and they go, they go generation after generation only eating meat, then obviously you need to have uh, everything that you need available in just meat, right? And they, and they not only are here, but they are not surviving, but they're also thriving. You can't do anything except thrive in the Arctic circle in those conditions, living in an igloo without central heating, unless you are thriving right? Or else you, you either thrive or you die, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what they did. Think about all of our ancestors throughout the agricultural or, or before the agricultural revolution, throughout the ice ages and things like that. Uh, there were no plants available, right? By and large. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially people, you know, in the further climes and latitudes. So they were going to subsist exclusively on meat. Last ice age, when people were crossing from Asia into North America over the land bridge, what 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 vegetables and potatoes and fruits and things like that were available, right? So they obviously were just eating meat. And that's what largely the body of evidence shows is that what humans have been eating before the agricultural revolution, you know, uh, it's very clear in the fossil record. Archaeologists can tell the difference between someone who came before agriculture and just after, but I mean, immediately after. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, just immediately before agriculture and immediately after, you see great disparities in the development of these uh, skeletons. So I think probably most importantly, the cranial capacity, the brain size was 11% larger before the agricultural revolution. Then immediately after agriculture, it shrinks by 11%. I think that's completely nutritional. They're also on average five inches shorter. They have small, uh, shorter femur length which is a sign of malnutrition. They have signs of infections and poor wound healing. They have signs of tuberculosis in their spine and elsewhere so that you just don't see before the agricultural revolution, certainly not in any prevalence. The jaws were wide, broad, no cavities, no crooked teeth. Crooked teeth are not genetic, by the way. That's purely nutritional, well, nutritional and developmental. And so before the agricultural revolution, they all had big, wide, strong jaws, perfect teeth, straight as an arrow, all they, they had all their wisdom teeth, everything like that. Directly after, it was it was completely different. Smaller jaws, poorly uh, shaped and developed teeth, crooked cavities, didn't get their wisdom teeth in, a lot of signs of infections and things like that. So there's a lot of harm clear, you know, just after that. So before that, we were thriving. We were better. Everything was great. You think, I mean, and more recently, look at like Genghis Khan, the Mongol horde, they ravaged the countryside. They, they took over most of Asia, most of Europe. They were essentially carnivores. They ate horse meat, drank horse blood and fermented mare's milk. And that was, that was largely what they ate, if not exclusively what these people ate. And for hundreds of years, they held the largest contiguous empire that's ever existed. And they did that, you know, living as carnivores. And they were, and you read these, you read the histories, they were much larger, much stronger, much better nourished than the peasant armies they were going against that they just absolutely tore through. Um, I'd like to go down your background in just a moment, but as you're talking about all of that, do you think too, aside from the diets, obviously that's a major marker in everything you're talking about here historically, do you think that the way they live their life as well and, you know, having their bodies occasionally um, or more than occasionally, I should say, pushing themselves to the limits and um, 
you know, we live such a sedentary lifestyle today, even more so than people of the agricultural communities of the past. Do you think that has something to do with it? The way that they are, you know, pushing themselves um, there. You're talking about warriors here and, and, yeah. and people, hunters, you know, things like that. Yeah. Taking down mammoths, things like that. Yeah. Not easy. Uh, well, yeah, look, you know, obviously we are meant to move. We are meant to be physical animals. You know, we, we think of ourselves as these small little punies. I, I remember thinking as a kid, like, why are we the only squishy animal on earth? All these other animals are big, strong, muscular beasts. And we're just, we're nothing. And yet we're the most dominant species on the earth. How, how can that be? And most, most of the time people would say, well, it's exercise. They're out there exercising, running around all the time. But that never explained animals in the zoo, right? Mm -hmm. And they live in a box the size of a room. It's the definition of a sedentary lifestyle. And yet I've, I've never seen a fat giraffe or a fat zebra or okay. fat lion, you know, they're or fat gorilla. They're ripped. They look like they're on steroids. And yet they're just sitting in a box. And that's because they're eating what they're supposed to eat. Now, if they're out in the wild and they were actually moving and doing their things, they would probably be bigger and stronger and more muscular, as would we. But either way, they're still very lean, very strong, very muscular, very healthy. They don't get the same sort of diseases we get unless you feed them outside of their natural design. This is why there are signs at the zoo that say, do not feed the animals. It makes them very sick. Don't feed the animals the thing that you're eating right now. It makes them sick. Well, what's it doing to you? It's making you sick too. And that's what zookeepers will say. You don't feed them you know, grain or kibble or human food because they'll get human diseases right well it's how do they how do they catch diabetes or or autism from someone i mean they don't right this isn't these are non-communicable diseases and yet they get them right when they eat the food and we get it when we eat the food as well um specifically with humans uh there was a study done in the 1980s asking that very question of the maasai in uh africa so these people are, are living quite traditional sort of herder lives, not really hunter-gatherer, really just hunter-herder sort of lives, predominantly eating, well, drinking blood, drinking milk, and, and eating meat. And so, so these guys are extremely healthy. They're very tall, very slender, very lean, very strong. They have a vertical leap, you know, that would make you know, any NBA player jealous. And I'll let you finish that thought in just a moment that you're you're leaving us on a cliffhanger here. We got to pitch to a break. Yeah. We'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Chafee. We are asking all of our listeners and our viewers to commit to 10 this month here. We the PatriotsUSA.org slash donate. We need you to help us out. Commit to 10. We need to take on more cases. We have people coming to us every day needing your help, needing us to take on their cases, tackling tyranny, whether it's medical or parental rights, what have you, please head over to wethepatriotsusa.org slash donate to commit to 10. Now we are back with Dr. Chafee. So, okay, we have this, uh, this society who is, like you said, basically like the Michael Jordan of their day. Mm -hmm. um, how did they get to be like that? Well, they're, they're just eating what they're naturally supposed to eat. And so people in, in the 1980s and, and since and before always were you know, marveled at how fit and how healthy and how athletic these people were. Mm -hmm. And so they said, okay, I mean, these guys look, look and can train and can perform like Olympic athletes. So they must, they must be doing a lot more than people in America are because they're eating a whole bunch of meat, blood, saturated fats. This is in the 80s, right, when people really started putting a, a serious 
uh, question mark on, on eating fat, really not even a question mark, it's to just don't do it. And so people started really reducing that after that. And so, they said, well, they're eating really unhealthy and yet they're lean, strong, muscular, they don't have a you know ounce of fat on them. You know, they must be working out all the time. So they actually followed them in the 1980s and they tracked how much exercise they were actually getting, how much they were moving themselves. And they actually found out that they were only moving them, their bodies 1.6 times as much as the average sedentary American, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so it really isn't, doesn't just come down to exercise. Exercise is important. It is good for you. But I think that the nutrition is first. If you don't get your nutrition right first, then, you know, everything else sort of falls apart. You can't outrun a bad diet. You know, I mean, there, there are marathon runners who get, who die of heart attacks at 40. And so, you know, you can, you can still be damaging yourself just through, uh, the things that you're eating, you know, interesting, interestingly, there was, a, there was another study, really the only study that's ever compared whole food meat-based diet with a whole food plant-based diet, all the nutritional studies, first of all, are paid for by Coca-Cola, Nestle, Pepsi, Kellogg, Sanitarium Foods, Seventh-day Adventist Church, and a lot of other sort of people that have a vested interest in plant-based products. Um, Seventh-day Adventist Church actually started Kellogg's and founded Sanitarium Foods. People don't know that and founded the Nutritional College and Sciences, you know, the, the American uh, Nutritional Dietetics Association. They founded that in, I believe, 1917, wrote the first books on tech, uh, first textbooks on nutrition in 1925. They're still in print. The current edition is still being taught in Ivy League nutrition classes. So they actually still set the curriculum for nutritional sciences and studies in the university level, basically worldwide. And they are religiously anti-meat. They had a, they had their LNG White was one of their prophetesses back in the 1800s. You had a, a vision from God. She said that uh, meat was sinful because it caused lustful feelings. People felt like they wanted to procreate, which is what you do when you're healthy and your hormones work. And, and what so we were created to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know? <laughs> And so, so she thought that was sinful. And so she said, meat is sinful because it makes you feel lustful. So it's much better if you eat a lot of plants It actually suppress those lustful feelings and lust is a sin and therefore meat is a sin and plants are holy. And so that's what she pushed forward. And she pushed that forward through the Seventh-day Adventist church, who is still pushing that forward through the nutritional colleges. Her protege was uh, John Harvey Kellogg, who became Dr. Kellogg. I believe he almost, he was actually Congressman Kellogg at one point. He's a very influential scientist in America. And he pushed this forward as well. He, you know, started Kellogg cereal. He and his brother, but anyway, the, the family started Kellogg cereal. Um, Seventh-day Adventist Church founded Sanitarium Foods in Australia. It's one of the biggest uh, processed food manufacturers in Australia. And so they started the, the processed food movement. And even just Coca-Cola puts forward 11 times the amount of nutritional research in spending as the NIH, right? And that's just Coca-Cola. All the rest of them are spending copious amounts of money as well. So the majority of studies out there are really, you, you cannot trust them. They, they come from, you know, the fruit of the, the poison vine. So, you know, these the people with agendas that are pushing this forward, the vast majority are coming from the processed food companies or people that have a, a marked agenda against meat. And they compare you know, whole food, plant-based diets, fruits, more fruits and vegetables, comparing that to people eating a standard processed food garbage diet. And they're saying, look, when you eat more fruits and vegetables, people do better. Mm -hmm. Well, is it of the course. fruits and vegetables that are providing the benefit or is it the not eating the high octane garbage, right? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, more not eating the, the garbage. So the only study that's actually out there that looked at whole food, plant-based diet, which is what they're saying we should do, 
and a whole food meat-based diet, which is what I'm saying we should do, is uh, was actually back in 1931. Uh, it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, one of the top medical journals in the world, and it was done by by the British, uh, you know, by the British scientists at the time. They looked at the Maasai and their neighbors, Akikuyu, who were actually largely plant-based, and they were whole food plant-based. So you know, they're like you know, it's the vegan's dream. There's no there's no pesticides. There's no uh, fertilizers. Just you know, a bunch of people on a commune, just hanging out in the middle of Africa, you know, growing some yams and uh, and hanging out. So. This was, this was a perfect setup and it, it was even better because they actually intermarried. So these are genetically similar populations, mm -hmm. right? And they looked at them and they found massive differences. They found very similar differences than what we found pre and post agriculture. They found that the adult male uh, Maasai were on average five inches taller. Their brains were bigger. They were 50% stronger. They had 23 pounds of more lean, uh, healthy muscle mass right? And body mass. Um, they didn't get sick. They didn't have diabetes. They didn't have chronic diseases. They didn't get ulcers. They didn't get lung diseases. They didn't have um, anemia. The, uh, the Akikuyu had anemia, had vitamin deficiencies, got sick and had all these infections and things like that. And they found that just supplementing the missing nutrients that they found to be deficient wasn't enough to make them well. In fact, they had to give them meat and stop and start taking away some of the plants that they were eating. And that's when they started becoming more healthy. Now they can't, they didn't grow five inches, you know, because they were, you know, they had already developed, but they got healthier. And so that, yeah. that's the thing. It's not only that meat is vital. Meat is, is essential. It is a set. These are, there are things in, in meat that you have to have that you cannot get from plants. There is nothing in plants that you have to have that you cannot get from meat. So meat is essential. Plants are superfluous. And in, in fact, there's sometimes they're, they can be helpful in, in extremity. If you're lost and you, and you run out of food, you know, and you know what sort of what plants to eat and things like that, or some berries or whatever you can survive, but it is survival food. You cannot live on it. You know, there was, unfortunately there was a young girl just, just recently, it was just in the news that uh, she was on a raw food, vegan diet. She actually died of starvation. She died of malnutrition uh, just recently. And, and of course the vegan proponents are saying, no, 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 no. It, it wasn't from, from malnutrition. It must've been some pesticides on the fruit or something like that, which is just, you know, it's, it's not healthy and it's not, and it's not helping people down the right path. So, so this looked, it was a very good study because you had two very good populations, genetically similar, lived in the same area at the same time, very different diets. Everything else was pretty much the same. And they found stark differences and then removing the plants, giving them meat, they improve their health. So it was, uh, it was, it was quite a good study. It's really the only one we have. That's awesome. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about plants and how some of it might, you know, be hurting your health eating these plants in just a moment. Today's case spotlight is the Guidry family. We have a medical kidnapping case. Amanda and her husband still have been without their four children for four months now for four months they are excuse me for over for multiple weeks they have been moved through four different locations and they have been without their children uh, please help us get it back head to we the patriots to help this family get their child back it is much like the taking care of maya netflix film that you all have seen recently 
All right, and we are back with Dr. Anthony Chafee, and we're gonna talk, you You just outlined how these various studies have shown us that having a meat-based diet, having mostly exclusively meat, is beneficial to these different populations that we have seen um, throughout recent history and throughout uh, our long-term history. So what are some ways we know that we have to have meat in our diet? You know. I preach all the time on here that vegan diets are just not helpful to anyone uh, whatsoever. Mm. But how might some plants? I've heard this from from various carnivore diet, um, you know, doctors and and people that are that are talking about carnivore diet. How plants um, might actually be hurting either our gut health or um, you know the way that our bodies are breaking these foods down, these plants down. How are plants possibly hurting our health in some ways. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, it does, you do have to just go back to biology and botany. These are hard sciences. We've been mm -hmm. studying this for literally thousands of years. We have a lot of data and information on this. And we do understand this, that plants are living organisms and they like to stay living organisms. And if you eat them, they die. If you eat their seeds, you eat their leaves, they die. So they have defenses. All living things have defenses. And while animals can run away or fight back, plants can't. So they have to use other means and methods. One of those main methods is by actually using poison. So there are about 340,000 plants in the world. Most of them will kill you. Most of them will kill most animals. And that's because they've evolved a, a number of different poisons. They actually make nearly 1 million different chemicals. And most of them are defensive and orient. And so they make up about 99% of life on earth. So these are not like defenseless little, you know, sitting ducks that are sitting there. There's, they are sitting there, but they are certainly not defenseless. This is why there are plants that exist in your garden. They're not just com completely destroyed by animals and insects. And that's because their defense, uh, their defenses against that are, are quite robust. So we know this inherently, right? If you get lost in the woods and you run out of food, you can't just eat any random plant, right? Most of them would make you very, very sick or even kill you. And that's because of these defense chemicals. So I remember learning in, in seventh grade that, you know, plants and animals, you know, are, are sort of in a, in, a, in a tug of war, plants becoming more and more toxic, so less and less animals and can eat them and then animals adapting to some of those poisons over time, and they become more and more adapted to those, those poisons. So they, they eat that, that's their evolutionary niche. So like a koala can eat eucalyptus, nothing else eats eucalyptus, basically, but koalas don't eat anything else. Right. And pandas eat you know, uh, um, bamboo, right? Mm -hmm. So 340,000 plants in the world, koalas eat one, pandas eat one, cows, horses, grazing animals eat grass, that's it. But they eat very specific grasses. You can actually pasture uh, mm -hmm. sheep and cows on the same paddock because they eat different grasses, right? And then, you know, gorillas eat leaves, giraffes eat leaves, deers eat leaves, they all eat different kinds of leaves. You mix those leaves around, they all get sick or die, right? So this is something that I learned about in botany. It's something I learned about in cancer biology. It's something I learned about all throughout my education. And, and you learn about how toxic these things are, how many carcinogens they have in the foods that we eat, in the plants that we eat on a regular basis. I took cancer biology 23 years ago at the University of Washington in Seattle. And we, we learned that there were dozens, if not over 100 carcinogens in the fruits and vegetables that we eat. So Brussels sprouts had 136 known human carcinogens in them. And mushrooms, just white cap mushrooms, had over 100. But also spinach, kale, lettuce, celery, cabbage, cucumber, broccoli, you name it, everything that you've ever eaten 
we were given lists of all the different carcinogens that were in them, and they were actually quite abundant. We know from the work of Professor Bruce Ames in uh, 1989, he published, showing that there were 10,000 times more naturally occurring toxins in the plants than the pesticides we spray on them. So this is something that people have been worried about for a long time, all the pesticides we spray on them, as we should. These things are toxic. They're designed to be a toxic because they're supposed to kill the animals and insects that are trying to eat your crop, right? The, the crop can already do that to most animals and insects. It's just there are some that are able to safely eat. That is where GMOs come in, right? Because it, it, let's say a locust can eat corn, but you know it can't eat wheat because there's something in wheat that would kill a locust, fine. So you take that gene from a locust, from a wheat, you put that in corn. Now the locust can't eat corn. And people say, well, oh my God, now they're, they're more toxic. Yes, that's the entire point. <laughs> you know, now you're, making, like the, you're, you're taking one poison from, you know, from wheat, you're putting it in corn, but that, that's how these things work. You're not worried about the other 10,000 toxins that are in there as well. So but that, that's the entire point. And that's why we put pesticides on these as well. And so what Just is it doing? Yeah. Sorry, what is it doing to our bodies then when we eat them? You know, you talk about the carcinogens. Mm. How is it affecting us then when we consume them? It's well, it's varied, right? So there's about a million different toxins, right? Or a million different different chemicals that plants make. They all, they all make very, very different uh, defenses, they all do different things in our body. Look at you know uh, North American water hemlock, right? So this is the, like the most poisonous plant in North America. What that does is it blocks GABA receptors in your brain and it stops your brain from basically calming down your neurons and keeping a balance of you know, working, but also being a bit calm. And so what happens is they get overexcited and then you start having seizures and you can't stop having seizures. And so you die within two minutes of intractable seizures just from half a leaf of North American water hemlock, right? That's how poisonous they are, right? Latex. We make rubber gloves out of latex. It's a material we we use and is very useful to us. What a wonderful thing this this uh, wonderful plant made this for us, right? Well, that's not what what it made it for. It's very tacky, very gummy, and so you you rip open one of those leaves. All of a sudden, that latex starts coming out, and if you touch it on your finger, it'll start sticking your fingers together with just a little drop. So if an animal's going in and starts chewing that, starts eating that leaf, and that latex starts coming out, it actually glues their mouth shut. And now they can't eat the plant anymore. So it's, it's quite an elegant way to stop things from eating you is to glue their mouth shut. Unfortunately for the animal, they generally can't get their mouth unstuck and they die, right? Yeah. So nature is kill or be killed for plants as, as well as animals. And, and plants are more than willing to have you die if it, if it means that they survive or their seeds survive, which is very important. Think about it this way. People think about, well, fruits berries that that's obviously something the plant wants you to eat well you know maybe not it wants something to eat that that fruit but not necessarily you most fruits and berries actually evolve with birds and so still again you go out in the woods and you just find random berries mm -hmm. on the on the bush and you know, random shiny red berries no you don't want to eat those uh, they can make you very sick they can kill you the cassowary bird is a tropical bird and big bird and they are frugivores they only eat fruit and there's about 150 different varieties of fruit and berries that they eat. Every single one will kill you. And that's because the seed only germinates in the cassowary bird's digestion. And so they have a symbiotic sort of relationship. If the cassowary bird leaves an area, those plants die out. So they have to, they have to go through the digestion of a cassowary. They go through another bird, they go through a human, they go through a goat. That doesn't become a plant anymore. It doesn't get eaten. It doesn't become a plant anymore. So it is in that plant's best interest to 
kill anything that tries to eat its fruit. And then it's okay, nope, we're not eating that. We're not going to have kids that know to eat that, right? So that's you know most fruits as well. So other things, there, there are a whole body of uh, different poisons that, that plants use, entire class classifications of them. Saponins, lectins, um, oxalates. There are you know, poisonous algae and things like that that can obviously get into marine life or shellfish and can have problems with that, but that's not the shellfish or the, or the, or the fish or anything like that. That's the algae that they've okay. then consumed. Right. Sure. And so, you know, like red tide, right. You don't want to, you don't want to uh, have shellfish when there's, when there's red tide and uh furana cumarins or a lot of these different things. Mm-hmm. So like, like lectins, for instance, lectins bind to uh, carbohydrates in our body. So they can bind to the carbohydrate surface antigens on our gut lining and they can damage them and they can damage the tight junctions in our, in our gut lining. So you have these cells that are sort of all stuck together and they stop large molecules or bacteria or other things like that from slipping through the cracks. So it's like, it's like our skin, right? Yeah. But the lectins damage those tight junctions. So they sort of are flapping to the breeze. So it's like sort of getting like a little cut on your, on your arm, microscopic. And so now things can get in. So now things that normally wouldn't get in your body, like other lectins and other toxins, cyanide, 2,500 different plants make cyanide, which is deadly to all life. And uh, they, um, but your, your body generally keeps this stuff out. But when you have that barrier damaged called leaky gut, then these things can slip in. And now all of a sudden these things are in your body and they're just wreaking havoc on your body and get very, very sick. And this is why a lot of people that are eating a lot of plant-based, even if they're eating whole plant-based, they can actually get quite sick. And especially people that are genetically susceptible. So people with autoimmune issues have parts of their body, parts of their cells that are similar enough to some of those lectins and bacteria that get in the body through these gaps in the tight junctions that the body makes antibodies towards lectins or the bacteria, and they're similar enough to parts of your body, like your thyroid, like your intestine, like your nervous tissue in uh, the case of multiple sclerosis. And it, and it attacks those as well. It's basically spillover, right? Mm-hmm. It's thought that your body sensitizes to this and now your body is just attacking you and you can't stop it without massive, massive amounts of immune suppressants. Well, that's what drug companies are certainly uh, want to tell you because that makes them a lot of money because this, this costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and, and don't really you know get people anywhere. They don't cure anything. Yeah. They just sort of stifle the symptoms. However, if you just remove the plants out of your diet, now, now some people go plant-based and they, they can improve their, their symptoms as well, but they're getting away from processed foods, Sure, right? Most processed food is plant-based, right? Mm-hmm. So 70% of American diet is plant-based. It's just processed plants, yeah. highly processed carbs and sugar and seed oils and things like that. They're, they're quite damaging. So you can go to a whole food plant-based diet and you can improve from there, but you're not going to get as, as good as you uh, could get, before, you know, as, as you know, living to our biological design. So when you do lift your biological design, you only eat what you need to eat, which is fatty meat. And you don't eat all the other things, your body heals and you're not exposing yourself to these different antigens. Those, your gut lining heals up. You stop letting in bacteria. You stop letting in lectins. And you don't even have lectins in your system anymore. And then your body stops making these antibodies. And I see this in lab tests for my patients. You can see, you can, you can track the amount of antibodies that, that they have for certain things like Hashimoto's say. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see their antibodies coming down and their thyroid function starting to improve. 
And that's because you've taken away what your body is actually attacking. It's not really sensitized to your thyroid, it seems, mm -hmm. and your antibodies are coming down and then these people improve. And, and this is in the literature. So we have studies in uh, Crohn's especially. There was one that, that showed that if you put them people on an elemental diet, elemental diet is a highly processed diet. It's just, just a tub of protein powder, basically. It has all like the micro and macronutrients that you need, basically, that we know of. And so you put people on that versus uh, prednisone, which is, uh, you know, steroids, high octane steroids, high octane immunosuppressant. I'm going to have you pick up that thought in yeah. just a moment on this study here in a minute as we go to break here on Faithful Freedom. Sure. You can head over to TarynGregson.com right now and get your vaccine exemption by state guide. You go on there. We have a link for you for your state on how you can go about getting your childhood either religious or philosophical exemption for your state. We also have the links to your state's tracking system. Yes, that's right. They are tracking your child's vaccines, whether you're getting them or not, and they are in an online system in your state. So we're helping you to remove your child from that system and to help you. You can also check out our Faith, Family, and Freedom volume at TarynGregson.com. And now we're back with Dr. Chafee, and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the types of meat that you suggest that we should be eating. But first, I do want you to, to wrap up that study because there's so many people um, that have, you know, thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, like you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And so tell us about that study on how removing these plants um, helps mm -hmm. their, their immune response and their overall health. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the study done in, in Crohn's disease and you put them on an elemental diet. So it was just a, a processed, you know, shake sort of diet. They just had the, the macros or micros that you needed, basically a steak, right? So everything you need in the proportion that you need it comes in the for form of a steak. Mm -hmm. So they compared that to prednisone, which or prednisolone, depending on the part of the world you're in, which is you know, a big time immunosuppressant. And so they found that people that were in an acute flare up of Crohn's, so very bad, you know, you're having bloody diarrhea 20, 30 times a day, extremely painful, a lot of bloating, this is nasty, nasty, this kills people. This is a very, very serious disease. And they found that just removing all that junk, that excess stuff was a better treatment to get people out of an acute flare up of Crohn's then prednisone, which is the gold standard. This is just, just want to mm -hmm. stomp it on his head. It's going to just wreck you in a lot of other ways, cause osteoporosis, cause Cushing's disease, cause all these other sorts of problems in your body, open you up to massive amounts of infections, things like that. So, but it's better than that. And, it, and it's not harming you, right? So you just eat meat, which is going to do the same thing as an elemental diet, only going to give you the things that you need. That is by proxy going to be as, as good or better than prednisone. I've seen this in practice. I, I've yet to see anybody with an autoimmune issue such as Crohn's not respond extraordinarily well to a carnivore diet. There's a, there's another study that just showed removing carbohydrates and, and fiber from the diet kept people with Crohn's in remission up to 51 months. And that was just, just carbs and, and fiber. And it kept them in remission without medication for 51 months contrasted with the control group on average, zero months, right? So not a lot of months. So there's something in the carbs and the fiber or something that came along with one or both that was actually causing the problems. And part of that has to do with gut permeability and part of that has to do with these different sorts of toxins that our body's reacting to. But there are a number of other toxins. The WHO, you know, who obviously you know, pushes a plant-based agenda, 
they actually have a website that's just dedicated to natural plant or natural food toxins. Every single one is a plant or an algae. There's not a single one from meat, not a single one. They're all from plants. And so this is just a natural way that plants defend themselves. But we've been so inundated mm -hmm. with the fact that just plants are just so wonderful, so wonderful, so wonderful. There can't be anything wrong with them. It's only meat. Ooh, scary meat. The thing that we've been eating forever yeah. that uh, is bad for us somehow. And that all the chronic diseases that didn't exist in any real fashion before the 20th century. I mean, heart disease was first described uh, and, and demonstrated on autopsy in America in around 1910. And they didn't believe them. They thought that that was like, no, no. That, that can't be true. You're, you're, you're not seeing it right. 10 years later, they started believing because they started having more people dying of myocardial infarctions of clots in the, in the coronary arteries. Thought like, mm, okay, yeah, that, that's weird. Maybe that, that guy was onto something. 10 years after that, it's the number one killer in America. How does that work? We were eating meat forever before that. And now all of a sudden we have, oh, you know, they just didn't pay attention. Okay. Yeah. So everyone born before 1986 and, you know, and didn't have an iPad is an idiot. Right. You know, yeah. and so, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, what a moron, you know, he just couldn't figure out, you know, anything. Right. So, so these people, you, know, you made your name in medicine and science by describing something new. You know, we have Osler's node, we have Trendelenburg gate, we have Cushing's disease. These are all famous, famous doctors that will go down in history because they've discovered something and they're named and they're named for it. And so you really wanted to find something new. And so they were doing autopsies and looking at ways that people died, dissections, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet 1910 or so is the first time we actually saw someone die of a heart attack. No, <laughs> like that, 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 that wasn't just being missed. You know, there yeah. were a lot of very, very smart people that were looking for this stuff and, and didn't see it. And we were actually eating more meat in the 1800s than we were eating in the 1900s. And in that time when we uh, started spiking the amount of heart disease, that was actually a trough. That was the lowest point. We were eating the least amount of meat in America in 200 years. So beginning of the 1800s, we're eating a ton of meat, actually more meat than we're eating now. And it slowly started sort of coming down, troughed around the 1920s and 30s, which is when this started come, becoming much more prevalent. And then we started eating a bit more meat. After that, it started going up and up and up. And now we're eating more meat. But we're eating less beef. We're eating less fatty meat. We've actually reduced the amount of red meat that we're eating by over 33% since the 1970s, reduced fat and cholesterol and saturated fats and things like that significantly as well. Increased seed oils, increased sugar, increased all these processed garbage foods. And we have increase in diseases. I want to ask you about the red meat thing because I think some people, if they are vaguely familiar with the carnivore diet, you know, they think to themselves, okay, all I'm doing is eating beef, right? I'm just eating red meat the whole time. I have to eat steaks and hamburgers and, and all of that. Uh, what are the various meats that you think that people can be eating on this carnivore diet? I'm a big fan of pork, chicken, fish, as well as the red meat in, involved in all of it too. Well, you, you can eat any meat, any meat that you like. So any meat that you like, that you enjoy, makes you feel good and that you can afford. Yeah. So, um, beef is beef and lamb, ruminant animals, venison, moose. If you can get moose, get moose. Moose is delicious. And so, you know, those sorts of things, um, those sorts of things are tend to be better. They, they, they suit more people. There are some people that have autoimmune issues and things like that. They're, they're actually sensitive to different meats as well. And I think that's really a product of what we're feeding the animals. Sure. You know, we're, we're feeding pigs and chicken and, you know, even farmed fish. We're feeding them 
you know, grains and, and soy and corn and things like that. That's not what they're supposed to eat. And so they're, they, they can't really process these things uh, as well because they're not, they're not designed to do so. And so some of that stuff's getting in their body. They're eating these, they're being fed these sort of seed oils and they can't actually process that. They can't use them for energy and they actually get stored in their fat. And now we're getting all this omega-6 and linoleic acid and all these sort of seed oils, even though we're not eating seed oils and, and that can be you know quite harmful. So people can react to that. I don't react to that. I, I can eat chicken, fish, pork, eggs, things like that. Uh, even dairy, I don't really have a problem with that. Some people do. And so, you know, if you're one of those people, you know, just remember that that red meat is your sort of your safety area. Ruminant animals seem to be able to detoxify these things because of the complexity of their digestive tract of their rumen, these sort of four barrel chambered stomachs that that they are able to sort of weed these things out. Even glyphosate, you know, like Roundup, that's, mm -hmm. that's very popular right now. There was a study that just came out that actually showed that ruminant animals can actually just burn that stuff out too. And they don't they don't absorb it into their system. Whereas monogastric things with only one stomach, you know, probably is getting into their system and might get into you uh, by proxy. Mm -hmm. So if you like beef and pork and chicken and fish, and you, you can eat all those sorts of things and your, your kids like them and they do well with them. Great. You know, eat, eat all of those things. If you are one of these people that are a bit more sensitive, like you have an autoimmune condition, or you find that you're just sort of reacting a bit funny when you, when you eat pork, when you have a pork chop or something like that, uh, just, you know, focus on red meat more and and also focus on the fat that is so important it is not just a calorie source this is that does not make you fat carbs sugar alcohol seed oils these make you fat there's actually a direct relationship with the amount of omega-6 uh fatty acids that people eat which are you know seed oils plant oils things like that they largely come from and obesity so the more adiposity we we put on there's a, there's a direct relationship a direct increase in the amount of omega-6s that come on so there, there's a relationship there um, eating animal fat, saturated fat does not make you fat. It's an essential nutrient. Fat is, you know, makes the animal kingdom go round and, you know, carnivores and herbivores get around 70 to 80% of their calories from saturated fat carnivores, because they eat animals with fat and they go for the fat first, why they go for the belly. They say, Oh, where are they going for the organs? Sure. But there's also a lot of fat around the organs and the belly fat. That's where bacon comes from. So this is the fattiest part of the animal right there. And that's always what they go for first, generally. And now, talking about that fat, though, is it just as important to make sure you're getting, you mentioned, you know, what the animals are eating, clean, you know, regeneratively raised, if you can, meats mm -hmm. because of the toxins um, and, you know, various things that collect in that fat of the animals? Yeah, it, it's best, certainly, and certainly yeah. for the monogastrics, right? So things mm -hmm. with, with only one stomach. Yeah, one stomach, yeah. The ruminants are, are better, but, you know, when you, when you, grain finish even beef you, you're going to reduce the amount of omega-3s that are available and you're going to increase the amount of omega-6s so omega-6 and omega-3s get uh you know, processed through the same system right mm -hmm. so same enzymes process omega-6 is omega-3 they're very similar but if you have an overabundance of omega-6 you'll sort of use up that that enzymatic pathway and you won't have enough left over for the omega-3 so even if you have you know, enough omega-3s, you have an abundance, an overabundance of omega-6s will drown that out. And so they won't get processed. Omega-3s are very, very good for you. They go in our cell membranes and our brains and uh, are very important and uh, for signaling things like that. And um, omega-6s, we need them to a certain degree, but an abundance of the actual are very pro-inflammatory. So you know, we take, you know, we take um, aspirin and you know, naproxen, ibuprofen, things like that. 
or uh, you know, Celebrex, things like that. Those are COX inhibitors. And so the things that they're actually inhibiting are the things that omega-6s make. Right? Awesome. So, well, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much to cut you, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but we have to wrap it up here on Faithful Freedom. Thank you, Dr. Chafee, for joining us. Please follow him. You're one of my favorite followers on Instagram. Um, and I know you're on all the various outlets out there as well. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA.